This morning I wanted to start out in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is all about character. Godly living in the home. And we need to understand that as Peter is going through his epistle, remember our precedent for what, how the epistles were written. The doctrine of Christ, surrounded by the love of Christ. Peter spent so much of his first epistle, the first two chapters, laying out for us what, what the gospel not only consists of, but you notice in, in this epistle so far, he's telling you exactly what the gospel consists of, a changed life. And that changed life comes only about because Christ rose from the dead. Jesus made that statement, unless I go away, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the one who comes alongside, the one who will indwell you, the one that will be with you forever, the one that will bring to you remembrance of the things that I said, the one that will allow my life to be lived through you, will not come. So it's more expedient for you that I go away. He is telling you that to be in Him is to be a changed person, is to live life a different way, a better way, a heavenly way. Last, last week we, we ended, obviously, on the 24th and 25th uh, verses of chapter 2, but I just want to briefly go over those two verses real quick, and then we'll get into 1 Peter 3. Look at the absolute personal... <laughs> Jesus Christ was so personal that He took your individual sin, my sin. I look back... Okay, and let's let's say that I was I was disobedient to my parents. All the sin that and you can look, and you know what? It doesn't take very long for us to go back through the, the years of our life and see the sin just oozing out everywhere. People say, well, you know, I've heard people talk about, well, it was a generic death. You know, Jesus was up there, and it was kind of like a generic death, and, and he died for every man, and God was satisfied. So wait a minute, hold it. Is that what the Bible says? Look at this. Look at verse twenty-four. Look at the the. Uh, um, the absolute him and you in this passage, who himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his own body. So you have who himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, bore my sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. And by the way, right there, he uh, Peter's going right back to Isaiah fifty-three. But but did you? I just I wanted us to catch that this morning. Oh, how Jesus loves you. He identifies with you, he knows you, he made you, he died for you. Every single offense, all the reproaches, Psalm 69, 
that could have ever been heaped at God was heaped upon Him. Your sin and all of the totality of your sins. I'm only 55 years old. Let's say I lived to 70, okay? Even the sins that I committed when I'm 70 were heaped upon Him. You cannot get any more close identification than that. We can't, we can't make an excuse why we are not committed to this Christ. Remember that bumper sticker I've talked about long ago? It says, feel far from God, who moved? But that is biblical, because we are the ones that, that tend to want to go our own way. Hence, verse 25, you were like sheep going astray, but now I return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, or guardian of your souls. Overseeing ship means bishopship. Overseeing means taking care of the affairs. When I was a manager in business, I oversaw the affairs of my business. But I was also a guard. I guarded that business. I used it as my own, and I guarded it. He oversees our life. And if he's not overseeing your life, folks, you are committing sin against him. You are grieving him. But he's also the guardianship. He guards our life. And he can do that because he has the rightful place to do that. Because he who himself bore my sins, your sins, in his own body on the tree. When we come to Christ as a new Christian, we're, we're absolutely elated that we're saved. We're saved from hell. We're saved from the consequences of sin. We start to grow in our position in Christ and, and what all we have and everything. But we need to learn something too. He is rightful owner now, not me. Not you. That is the key of growth. He's the owner of your life. He is the owner of my life. And sometimes I want to take that ownership back. Because as Mike said earlier, yeah, you know, we, Lord, I got this one. It might sound funny, but it's not funny. None of it is. Because Jesus now is the rightful owner of us. We are his possession he knows how to take care of his possession. And he knows how to cause growth of his possession. We have many, many different trees in just our property. Each one of them grows. And we're getting the idea now. It's going to take 12 years for, for me to really see this. But everyone grows in its own different time. Everyone blooms in its own different time. But nonetheless, God causes that. That is nothing compared to you and I to him. We are his special possession as we've talked about, remember, we are a peculiar people. We're going back to the early part of this chapter, verse 9. Your chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. We're to call out, we've been called out of darkness. We're to proclaim his praise. God loves you. His main directive in life is you. You know, you see in the first chapter of, of, of Hebrews, really what really how God is working. The whole universe, the planets, the stars, and everything, they are literally upheld by the word of His power. 
But you and I are upheld by his life. By his life. It does not say, he does not extend his life to the planets, to the stars, other than the fact that it's the word of his power. He is the all-powerful one, and by that authoritative word, by the fact that he is God, all these run. But you and I have a choice. We can grieve the Lord and not walk in his ways. We can grieve him by, by choosing to live by that principle and just stay where we are. We're good. You know, see, the book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon as the best man can do in and of himself, apart from God, under the sun. And he makes this amazing statement. He says that do not be overly righteous and don't be overly wicked. That's the Peter principle in human life. See, we get to an area. Remember, different classes of people, we all have that. Because God gives us a choice. That's why we're small, and that's why we're here. I believe that, that some of us are exercising that freedom of choice and saying, God, not my will, but thou, your will be done. And therefore, God works in a person's life like that. That is biblical Christianity. That's why there are so many uh, that are floundering because they, they run for such a, a distance and the joy of their newfound salvation kind of starts waning and the rubber meets the road and they have no foundation for which to stand. Why am I not growing? Why are my prayers not answered? Why do I feel like God never hears me? And, and so on and so forth. We want to know what, what godly living is all about. I heard a statement one time, and boy, is it true. Wow. I have experienced it. All you that are married have experienced it. True Christian living, you could tell in the home. That's the way it is. And I, at times, was stung by that. You could go out and fool the world. And I'm not saying you're fooling the world, but you can go out and you can be... It seems like sometimes it's so easier to live our life, our Christian life, out in the world, isn't it? Sometimes it's going to church is nice because you have the people and you're talking and you're singing and hearing a good message or whatever, and you go home. And then there's times where you're out doing things, you're out in the wilderness, whatever I remember my dad. Do you know the most times he ever talked to me, the man of few words I've told you up through the years, the most time he talked to me is when we'd be fishing or when we'd be out somewhere, which is kind of unusual. No matter where it might be, it's so easy to live a Christian life, or stay easier somewhere else. But when you get into the home, it is sometimes is very revealing. How many times can you say in your own heart, you that are married, I am sure glad that there wasn't a fly from God on the wall that could see the things and go back to my father and tell them. <laughs> or tell our church. If, if you talk about a movie night, if we had a big screen and say, okay, tonight... We are going to have a movie of Jeff and Dina Graham, and we're going to go all the way from the time that they were married all up until now, and you're going to see it all on the screen. You know how many people would be here? Everybody. I don't think it would be too many people going, I'm not going to be there. But then if somebody said, we're going to have this major thing on, you know, about so-and-so's life from the time they were married until now, and all is going to be shown, all is going to be there except probably, you know what I'm trying to say? It's very difficult but God starts in the home a lot of times. Kids are difficult. Mates are difficult. 
Does that change circumstances? No, it's the power of God and the salvation to change a life. This morning, as we get into chapter 3, we're going to look at wives. Verse 7, we're going to look at husbands. And you all know me, I'm going to really drill on husbands because I think that God makes, not, not to shame anybody, but I want to look at it this morning is how Peter wrote it, the, the absolute significance God has given wives and the absolute significance God has given husbands. He loves us both. We both need each other as married couples. And that's why a domineering marriage never works, by the way. You know what a domineering marriage is like? Having all the ballast on one side of your ship. When it goes through the storms, guess where the water is going to come in at and destroy it? That's what it's like. God loves the marriage. And, and you know what? It does, it's not going to do any good, husbands or wives, to blame your mate. Well, if I just had a better wife. Well, if I just had a better husband. Well, if I just had a better spouse that read the word more. You could go on and on. Does it do any good? You know, we spent all of our married lives losing battles, fighting with our husbands or our wives, to no avail. And we're going to get into a passage in this first uh, verse of chapter 3 that we're going to say that is, that is so. We need to stop battering each other if we do. And if we don't, praise the Lord. You're an example. Be an example. My daughter is going to be soon going to be getting married, and, and I, I so am praying and so much want to be uh, an example of what a lasting marriage should be. Wives, likewise. Wait a minute. What's this word likewise? He's saying likewise. He's going on. He, he's going wives. Now we're shifting wives. Likewise. For he's talking about a wife that has returned. That sheep that may have gone astray, but now has returned to the bishop, the overseer, the guardian of our souls. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, that word, I don't have to tell you because we're, we're all older. That word was one of the words, among many others, that made women's live what it is today. And that, like psychology, women's live have crept into the church. That is commonly called usurping authority, which God will have none of it. Usurping authority for a wife is a recipe for disaster. Be submissive. To your own husbands. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. But even way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Interesting. To the woman God said, I will greatly multiply sorrow in your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children... But your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. That word rule means that he will tenderly guide you and protect you. Mark that down. He will tenderly guide you and protect you. 
submissive? When we understand what a role of a husband is, it is not very difficult for a wife to be submissive. He will guide you, tenderly protect you. Jesus used the same thing of protection when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long? I have longed to gather you under my wings as a chicken does her brood, but you are unwilling. That's the idea of a woman usurping authority, unwilling to go into that protection that God has laid out for the men. And you know, some men don't understand that. Some men are just beginning to get to that understanding because God sends good teaching their way. He opens up the word. A lot of men don't do that. So so maybe they have been a little bit disorderly in, in, in God's arrangement of the home because of ignorance, not willful ignorance, but because of ignorance. They haven't been taught these things. But we must go back here. And we see that God says that. And, and I won't... I won't those are taking notes. Just Sunday, uh, reference that with 1 Corinthians 11.3, for example. How the man is the head over the woman, as Christ is the head over man. You know, one thing I love about the Bible, when we talk about wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, the husband has a role that every woman can receive safety and comfort under. And that's that role of the authority in the home, or the authority in the church, or the authority over the ruling of, of the, the, the home as far as godliness and guidance. So likewise, be submissive to your own husband's wives. Are you submissive to your husband's? Irregardless of how they are, I think some of uh, some of you wives need to give your husbands a break. <laughs> well, we're getting the husbands. We're getting there. Submissive. Doctor Barnhouse used to say, as he would talk to uh, a couple uh, anticipating marriage, he would explain how Christ loved the church and how he was willingly crucified and suffered immeasurably because he loved his bride that he knew that would be. He could see in the future and see the myriads of that would, people that would come to him as his bride. And he said, no woman that understands these things really would have a hard time submitting to a man that would be willing to be crucified for her, that would be willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for her. Men, are we willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for our wife? Some of us men don't show it by our lives. Some of us know that we want to be domineering. We're the man of the house. But that doesn't excuse you wives from being submissive. Because God calls us to be that way. Why should I be submissive? He hasn't done anything for me. God calls you to be that way. See, there's a key here. Submission involves humility. And the key to submission is humility. And when we are willing to humble ourselves and come under God's directive and His plan for our life, you would be amazed at not only the peace that pervades your life, 
But uh, let's look at the rest of this verse. That even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct, better translated, behavior of their wives. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you're why you're submissive, you wives, because even if your husband is rash, he might be rude, he might not clean up after himself, he might not give you a consideration, he might do whatever he is that is contrary to Scripture, he can be won by you by not even opening your mouth. They see your your life, your behavior. That's power. That is power. Love ultimately is power under restraint. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Be one without a word. You women have great power over men. We've said that before. Your power can be used both ways, either turn your man off or actually make them desire Christ. Remember the old German, true story. Remember the old German way back, probably I think in the 1700s, maybe the 1800s. He used to go to the tavern every night, remember with his buddies, why his godly wife stayed home and, and put the children to bed and took care of the house. He wasn't a believer, but he mocked his wife, but he boasted about his wife that no matter how lewd, how crude he was, she would always be, have his dinner ready when she, he got home, and, and she was always sweet to him and always kind. And finally, he brought his buddies home one night. You all remember the story. True story, okay? This is not made up. Brought his buddies home one night in a drunken stupor. They sat down, and sure enough, the wife, after putting the children in bed, fed all of them and everything on ministry. There were three of his buddies there. Two of them got up and left and said, you're nuts, man. You're nuts to be able to, to make a woman, take a woman like that and not only mock her, but walk all over her. You're crazy. And they walked out. Later on that night, that man, his drunken stupor, became surprisingly sober, fell on his knees, and received Christ by the behavior of his wife. He could not deny it. Why? So we, you know, you have great power. That's a true story. Men might be strong, but they are nothing compared to God. God can soften the hardness of hearts. He did mine. My heart is pretty hard. I realize now, looking back, I was hard. I didn't want God. I didn't want anything but what I wanted in life. I have a very, very near dear friend that's sitting in this room. You know who you are. I came from a wonderful Christian home. I love his parents. And he will confess to you that even in the best of Christians' homes, he went his way. Listen to this. This is in Ephesians chapter 5. Just listen. Wives, submit to your own husbands. This is Paul. Okay? So we're Paul and Peter. 
This must be very significant in the Lord because we have two different apostles. One actually lived with Christ and the other was transformed by the power of the risen Christ. But listen to this, what Paul says, Submit your wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wow. You want to know how much you're submitting wives to your husband? I'll tell you how much. You'll know how much. You submit to your Lord. If you don't submit to your husbands, then you better take a good look at submitting to your Lord. Remember, we're getting to the husbands. But God loves you immensely. He wants the best for you. So you not submitting to Christ is a detriment in your life. You're working against your own Christian life. You're making yourself miserable. No Christian lukewarm is happy. No Christian lukewarm is joyous. No Christian lukewarm has a perspective on the way that they should be before God because they are fighting against the very life that Christ died to give them. Submit to your own husband, as his Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ is the head of the church. And he, Christ, is the Savior of the body. Listen to this. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Wow. In everything. You have financial difficulties? Listen to your husband. Back him. Do you have... Problems with your kids? Listen to your husband. Back him. In everything. I've not read a translation, believe me, I, I think I've, I've gone through about 37 or 38 different translations of my own Christian life, looking at different types of ways they've said things and the other type of way they don't say things. I have never, ever ran across a translation that said, Wives, Smith your husbands in some things. Only what seems best for you. Oh, in everything. But then he says husbands. I'm getting a little bit ahead of, of, of verse 7. But I just want to say husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless before him. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife, loves himself. Now if we tear apart this, this uh, uh, contextual part of the word, which we're not going to do this morning, there are three things in there. One, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Two, wives should be submissive to the husbands. But three, that Christ is meant is is in the forefront here. Paul says this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking about Christ in the church. So we put everything together. Before we get back into our passage in 1 Peter 3, we as a marriage. Couples that are married, wives and husbands, they get the awesome responsibility of, of, of shining forth what the church is to be, how Christ is to the church. 
Some of you husbands loving me to me listening to this message this morning. You need to ask forgiveness for your wife to your wives, how you've treated her. You've not been kind. You've not been generous. You've not been supportive. You've not been guarding. You've not been spiritually watching over her. You have not done what you ought to be doing. And there are some husbands here that are doing that, and they're listening on the internet that are doing that. We need to thank God because that's Christ's love, and that's Christ's life in you godly husbands. And you need to go out and you need to find somebody. Everybody knows of a failing marriage. I don't care who you are. You all know the marriage that it's not doing good or failing. You that walk the way we're talking about need to go and share that and be a blessing to other people. Be an example to other people. Don't be ashamed to openly love your wife, husbands. Don't be ashamed to tell her you love her in public. Don't be ashamed to show the affection that is due her. You know, I think that marriage is one of the most things that's talked about today. You know, there's so many books on marriage and self-help. We only need one book. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm not saying they don't bring out some good points and and this and that. But you know, I think that in my understanding of the scriptures, I might, you know, there's a lot of news magazines, which what I call programs on the radio, that focus primarily on the family. That's all they do. You know, we can focus on the marriage, we can focus on the family to such a point that next thing you know, Christ is left out of it. Christ is the center of it. Christ is the power of it. Christ is the one that gets the glory from it. Christ is the one that that can shine through your marriage and show the world that this is how Christ loves the church. So getting back into our first our first Peter passage. Be submissive, wives, to your own husbands. So even if they're froward, I love that word froward, by the way. It's an old English word that means crooked or perverse or a uh, number of things. But when, when that word froward was used, uh, you can find it in the, in the King James Version and elsewhere. You knew exactly what it meant. We don't want to uh, have a crooked or perverse word spoken about the, the, the relationship between Christ and the church. That is so marred today. Is it any, is it any wonder that the, the divorce rate has gone skyrocketing? Is it so, any so wonder today that, the, that a lot of families and a lot of homes, the wife wears the spiritual trousers? Is it, it, and, and the church is falling apart. They've lost their way, and the world laughs. Now we have women usurping authority. We have women in the pulpits. We have women shepherding congregations. We have women here and there. I'm not saying women can't teach. That's Biblically, they have their place. But what I'm saying is usurping authority. The authority has its place in the church and in the home. And so do, do wives. Both in the church and the home. Did you know that more women than men minister to Jesus in his needs? Do you know that I used to on the Via del Rosa going to the cross? It was the women he turned to and said, Women, don't weep for me. Weep for your children. First two says, When they observe your chaste 
conduct accompanied by fear. Now we're going to be hitting today uh, a scripture back uh, in verse 15. We all know it's it's well known verse, but there's a there's a part to that verse that if it's not heeded to, the second part of the verse has no power to it. Remember, we want power that changes lives. This is not a bashing of men and women, husbands and wives. This is a a call to wives to be submissive, so that through the power of that changed life, their husbands that, that so easily want to do their own thing, men are so prideful. You know, way back in the garden, when the serpent came to Eve and lied to her and, and appealed to her uh you know, pride and reasonings. She fell. But yeah, what about Adam? Adam fell. But Adam wasn't deceived. Adam fell, I believe, because he didn't want to lose his wife. But Adam fell. And yet, Adam is placed in a responsibility. I mean Adam, I'm talking about all his descendants. You know, I had a, a gentleman the other day that brought up, a, again, brought up the question, of what about original sin? Well, let me tell you, the Bible says two things about original sin, three things, actually, if you want to take them in context. Number one, original sin came from Satan when he rebelled. We read that in Isaiah 14 and so forth. Number two, sin entered the world through a, a woman, a man, a created being. So therefore, sin entered into the world. And yet, we read in, in Romans 5 that sin is perpetuated through the world from Adam through one man. Romans chapter 5 says, through one man, sin entered into the world and entered into all men because all men have sinned. So let's get that straight right now. That does not change the fact of God's order. Because when we're Christians, the Bible says, in Him is no sin. We are Christians. We are a new created being. We are, we are born again. Yes, we do have that sin nature, but the Bible says it does not have any more dominion in us. It no longer is master over us. That's why we're talking about here about a changed life. We can't blame anybody. We can't say, well, I'm not this way because my wife is that way, or I'm not this way because my husband is that way. God has given us a wonderful new life, and that's the life of Christ himself. No wonder that the... A harsh man can be won over without a word. Jesus on the cross, one thief says, Hey, quit reviling him. We're getting what we're due. This man has done nothing wrong. Whether he heard Jesus through his life or not, we don't know. The scripture doesn't say. But we do know that the centurion that was at the bottom of his cross saying, And let me tell me. Let me just label one thing, just real quick for understanding. Crucifixion was not pretty. And what they did to Jesus was horrible. And then we have everything else surrounding it. But we have seven cries that that come from the cross, all in love. And he turns to the other... uh, to the guy that on the cross that, took this, that reviled the other one and said, why are you doing this? We are justly condemned. This man has done nothing wrong. What does Jesus do in love? 
He says, today you shall be with me in paradise. The centurion, when he died, after, probably, the spear was jabbed into Jesus' side. What does he say? He says, truly, this man is the Son of God. Truly, he is who he claims to be. I don't think at that time all the words of Jesus flooded into his mind. Maybe it did, the scripture doesn't say. But we do know that the innocency and the wonderfulness of life himself, that was life himself upon the cross, giving his life so that we might have life. It's a changed life. And you can, wives are a great influence. I know my wife is. And I know every one of us that are married must say that. They influence us one way or the other, but nonetheless they influence us. They drive us on. And he says in verse 3, then we get to the practicality of this. The practicality of, of this. Look at verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. <coughs> I remember my, my pastor at the end of, of, uh, of me being associated with him. He said a couple things to me, but one of them was, watch out. Watch out for, for the, the tactics that Satan will use, you being a young man. You know, um, anywhere from women that aren't clothed correctly or whatever. Dr. Barnhouse has a story. Actually, his wife told us, not him. So I know it's probably more accurate. He, uh, he was a, uh, a pastor of a quite large church in Philadelphia. And with this one particular Sunday after he got done uh, preaching his Custom was to stand by the front door and greet everybody as they left, like normal traditional churches used to do in those days. And a woman who was dressed rather, uh, well, this is back in the 40s, so rather scantily, came by and said, Oh, Dr. Barnhouse, I just love your sermon. And he took his hand and, and kind of put, you know, kind of put up to her breast. I just love your sermon. And he kindly, this is her words, he kindly put him away and he said, Thank you, ma'am, and turned around and started. Shaking the other, the other people's hands. The godliness does not mean in how we dress. Whether the putting on a fine apparel or they're not putting on a fine apparel. Some of some of I've seen people in church services that they should have been dismissed to have them go home and change. I remember one particular time that we were having a Two churches come together. I was just young in the Lord. I was 22 years old. And for those of us that have kids, you don't need to know what 22 years old means as a man. And uh, I found my pastor over in the corner counseling. There were three women. Well, one of them was dressed, well, I know it made me stumble. And that's what started our conversation about how can you endure that and not, not stumble. It's prevalent in church today. How do we know 
that we are godly women. We don't have to dress in a certain way that brings attention to ourselves. Because God gives us all the attention we need. We are precious in His sight. Look at verse 4. But rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty. You know, at the end of Psalm 31, beauty is vain. It's going to pass. Beauty is fleeting. We've all seen pictures of people when they were younger, they were babes. Let's put it straight. When they're older, you're going, whoa, what happened? It was the same thing with men. I've heard more people, and my mom, my mom's gone to more uh, family, or not family reunions, but school reunions. Her and her husband, man, I mean, I, they go all the time, which is great, you know, but they're constantly saying, wow, you know, Ben surely changed or whatever. But it's the hidden person of the heart. Now remember uh, Proverbs 4, 4, chapter 4, verse 18. The Christian life is like the shining of the sun that comes up in the morning and shines brighter and brighter and brighter under the perfect day. That's the Christian life. And this is what he's talking about here. But, but women, wives, let it be the hidden person of the heart, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, listen to this, which are very precious in the sight of God. You want to be precious in the sight of the Lord? Submit to Him. That's what, verse 4 is what won that drunkard old German to his wife and to ultimately to Christ. Day after day after day in the mundane things, it was the incorruptible beauty, it was the quiet spirit it was, that was precious in the sight of God. We just got through the second time of going through uh, um, the Proverbs on Monday night. And we had such a, I did, I, I hope everybody had a great time. But when we ended, we obviously, in Proverbs 31, you know, ironic, ironically, if that's a word, sorry, Pam, Christian women are not wimps. Christian women are strong. They are, they are create, God created a woman to be strong. Women, you have strength that men don't have. Who can find a virtuous wife, which literally means a wife of valor in the sense of all forms of excellence? That's what the New King James Translators puts, puts in for that wife. Who can find a virtuous wife? It's a wife of valor, a wife of excellence. Listen to this. Her worth is far above rubies. Listen to this, man. This is great. Let the heart of her husband safely trust in her, for she will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And we can go on and on. What she does, she provides food for her household. Even when she doesn't feel good, she provides food for her household. She gets up her night. Her lamp does not go out at night. All of us that have kids know that our, their lamp doesn't go out. They're strong. They're there. They're for the kids. They're their mother. They're strong. They got a backbone. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. 
They go to great lengths to provide for their household. They go to great lengths to make sure that their children go off to school, where they go clothed right. They make sure that they're not cold. They make sure of all these things, don't they? Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. A godly woman is strong. A godly woman is important. A godly woman is what to look up to. And I'll end this right here again with the quote from Dr. Barnhouse. Speaking to those that he was, were going to marry, that were thinking of marriage. He would tell the woman, you see, what I am basically telling you today, I got most of this from him, who was a wonderful man of God, by the way. But also the fact that he was tell her, he said, what your position is, is when your husband comes home out of the coldness of the world, of facing the world, whatever that might be, you are designed by God to be that hearth, that fireplace that your husband may come in and warm himself by. Oh, my Who could have thought of that but God alone? Who could have made the woman so fit for the man? Now, why is there so much problems? Why is there so many problems? Men, listen to me, especially on the Internet. There's going to be all kinds of things facing your marriage. There's going to be pornography. There's going to be permissiveness. There's going to be the wondering eye. There's going to be the lack of drive. There's going to be boredom. There's going to be all these things that the enemy puts before you that you must master. You must take a rightful look at your marriage and at your wife. Your wife was not given for a piece of meat. She wasn't given for a servant. She was given as a helpmate. Wives. Wow. The hidden person of the heart. Verse 5 says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God. You notice the vernacular, all the contextual uh, things that he is saying here. Even Jesus, verse 23, chapter 2, committed himself to him who judges righteously. Why is verse 1, chapter 3, submit yourselves? Their gentleness and precious spirit are precious in the Lord. Then we get to verse 5, the manner of women of holy times did this who trusted in the Lord and adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Use an example, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Oh, wait a minute, I'm not going to call my husband Lord. That's not what they're talking about here. Lord in those times where it was a title of respect. What do we have now? We have women taking a lot of men's names in vain when they don't respect their husband. They don't. They try to usurp, usurp the authority over the husband, and they take his name in vain. That's what we're looking at here. So in the olden times, they call him Lord. It was a it was a respectful connotation because it says, "Whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not terrified, or excuse me, are not afraid with any terror." Well, as a prelude to verse 7, I want to say, husbands, your wife can have a correct view of how Christ treats the church, or they can have a wrong view, and largely that comes from the husbands. 
You can have people preach from the pulpit and listen to all the tapes driving and all the good things you want to, you want to say. But when you get home, husbands, you can tear that down in a minute by the way we treat our wives. Because Christ loves the church. He nourishes it. He cherishes it. He does nothing but for her good. Husbands, are we doing nothing but for our wife's good? I have changed a lot from since I was first married. But God's not done with me yet. And I can tell you by the authority of my own experience in my own life, but, but the authority of the Word of God, that I won't take back any of the chiseling, the chastising, the forming, the private alone conversations between God and I of how I ill-treated my wife for anything. I won't tra trade those times for anything. You know, because it's not the high peaks in marriage. Oh, we went, to, we went here, and oh, remember we travel around the world, and oh my gosh, we climbed that rock. That's not marriage. Those high times come and go. That's great. But the times of marriage are down in the valleys. Let's, let's get that straight. Day in and day out. Waking up and going to bed. Waking up and going to bed. So verse 7, like, husbands likewise dwell with them in an understanding way. Be sensitive to them. One of the greatest things that I learned from my own mother was the fact that no matter how big a problem it is to your mate, if it's a problem, it's a problem. Do I need to repeat that? No matter how big a problem seems or small a problem seems to your mate, if it's a problem for them, it's a problem. Husbands, let's be sensitive to that. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, I grow up. No. Is that what Jesus says to us? There's no problem too small. There's no problem too great. Let me emphasize the fact there's no problem too small. You can go to him with anything. Can your wives, husbands come to you with anything? Can they come to you with anything? Or are they afraid of what you're going to do? Or what, they're going to, what you're going to think? Without being too redundant, I have about seven minutes left, maybe 20. Just joking. I want to go through the three points real quick that we have been, this is where I get them. And, the, and, and throughout the scriptures regarding marriage. We've talked about it so many times in this, in this church, from this pulpit, from the word of God, that husbands, I told you we'd be getting to you. But God loves you. It's important. You know, so many times, don't leave me out. What about me? God never does that. He's getting to you. Each and every one of us, because we're so important. We're each individual gems, and he will not have one gem missing. He spells that out in the 99 sheep that are here, and one's gone. What does he do? He leaves that, and he's going to go, and he's going to find it. Not one of us is insignificant. Not one of us is his favorite versus the other one. So let's understand that. But husbands, 
There are three things. And, and, and say them silent to yourself. If you remembered that, we've talked about it. If you haven't, then you've been not listening. Biblically, there are three things on a husband that you must do to be a biblical husband. Number one, you must protect your wife physically. Number two, you must protect your wife spiritually. You ready for this one? What's the third one? Why, husbands, you must protect your wife emotionally. That is a barometer, scripturally, of how we are treating our husband. Likewise, husbands, dwell with them in an understanding way. With understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to a weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Whoa, that is such a wonderful verse. First of all, I want to say something, like I've said before. You know, say I love you with a dish rag or vacuum cleaner or even the laundry, but most of all, husbands, say it. Tell them that you love them. Back it up with your words. That's what God did to us. One of the most powerful verses in the book of Romans is Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Getting back to verse 1, be submissive to your own husbands. It doesn't matter how they're acting. That's the weaker vessel. Listen to this. Weaker is a comparative term. In this passage, if the wife is weaker, then the husband is weak. This observation hits the nail on the head. An archway, listen to this, an archway or arch is a strength built out of two opposing weaknesses. That is the secret of a long and lasting strong marriage. When you have an archway, if you take out the joining of two weaker, you cannot stand by itself in a marriage. We're talking in marriage here. The man cannot stand by himself. The woman cannot stand by herself. You need the two weakening archways. And it's not weaker, by the way, women, as far as as, uh, standing or even personality. But a woman is weaker in the fact that she needs the authority of the man. The protection of the man. The emotional comfort of the man. But look at that arch again. You take that from joining together. You take that away and one of them will fall. That is a lasting understanding of a marriage biblically. Say I love you. Demonstrate I love you. Christ in the church. No greater love has this than a friend laid down his life for one. You think about that. That arch archway. It's built on two opposing weakened sides. But when they're connected together, they're an archway 
so that all can go under it in safety. That's the secret of a lasting marriage. And you know who joins that two weaking sides together? Jesus himself. Wow. Finally, all of you, verse 8. Well, first of all, before I go on, how's your prayer life together? And I don't mean praying for one another or with each other all the time. I'm praying, I'm saying praying for one another. Praying for one another. The Bible here doesn't say that we need, that it's the, the corporate getting together, which is great, but that your prayers may not be hindered, the last part of that verse. Do you pray for your spouse? Do you love them enough to pray for them? Husbands, do you pray for your wives? There, therefore, is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But these are barometer. God wants your marriage, doesn't guarantee it. God wants your marriage to thrive. Not to be endured. And I know a lot of marriages that are just enduring, man. You know? Oh, we've been married 45 years. It's the same old ball machine. You know, it's that old thing. It's enduring. I don't want to endure. I've told my wife several times during our marriage, I don't want to endure. I don't want to live my life as if ah, I could have made another turn, you know? I... I got married too early, man. If I had to do it again, I wouldn't I'd wait till I was 50, you know, and then I would know what I wanted. And I, really? But that is where the majority of especially this younger generation think. I want a marriage that's vibrant. I want a marriage that's fulfilling. And I want a marriage that Jesus Christ is the head of my home. I want to treat my wife as Christ treats the church. Do you know, husbands, that we have that opportunity? Wow. And God does it through fallible people. But he promises to live his resurrected life through you, husbands, to your wives. Every day is new. If you have a bad marriage, or if you have a complacent marriage, or if you have a whatever kind of marriage, if it's, if it's anything less and spectacular, you can change that today, man. Today, right now. You could commit yourself to the one who created marriage. For the one that gave you your wife. To one that allowed you to be a Christian in the first place. Now, in this great area of life, we can go and we can be Jesus Christ to our or our wives, husbands. It is so hard for a wife to hear about how loving, kindful, and mindful, and loving, tender, and everything else that the Lord is, and yet go home and not see that reflected in her supposedly godly husband. 
But when they go somewhere and they go to church or they, they hear something or they read something about how the tenderness of love is, they read their Bible and then they go and see their husband and he has nothing but praise for her and he, he loves her and he cares about her and he's tender towards her, that's power. I will end here. But you see in these two opposing verses just or uh, about the wives and the husbands, we see both are significant roles. Both have power. The wife in her own right, the husband in his own right, and yet God has invested this authority over the household, over his wife. And I won't stop. Until I won't stop. Everybody listening to this message, even even the husbands that are here and the husbands that are listening, don't stop. Be committed to your wife. Don't stop showing her Jesus Christ. Don't stop the willingness to be wrong. If you're wrong, admit it. And go on. Because you both have been heirs of the grace of life. So that your prayers are not hindered. I will close by saying this. I urge... Every husband to commit to not stopping as long as he has breath of being the husband God has called him to be. And that wives will be submissive to their husbands. The church is falling apart. I believe to a lot, large degree because families and marriages are falling apart. They're just not that. They're not that important anymore. Oh, I, you know, I know, yeah, a lot of them are falling apart. People might say, well, I'm not divorced. I've never been divorced. I'm not. Yeah, but you're living in complacency. You're living as if you weren't married. You're not fulfilled in your married life. You're certainly not you're not radiating what Christ is to the church. You're not radiating selfless love to your mate. What you're radiating to the world is you're just enduring. You're the status quo. I knew of a lady one time who wanted to get divorced, but she felt she couldn't get a divorce because I'm Catholic. Is that a godly marriage? I know of people that won't get divorced and they want to get divorced because they but they want to stay together and endure one another because of property reasons. Is that a godly marriage? These people claim no God. Husbands, let's let's commit even today of showing our wives the love of Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the word that 
Um, we don't need to be afraid of. We don't need to be afraid of falling short in our position as husband and wife. What we need to do is to heed the word of God and correct through the power of the Spirit our position as a husband or a wife. Because this is godly living. This is what Peter is putting down, and I thank you, Lord, that this epistle, starting out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, how you elected us, made us your own, and that you bore our sins on your body on the tree, that we may live to righteousness and die to sins. By stripes we are healed, that our godliness and our hope will be surrounded by completely hoping to the end these things in our life. And all of our hope centers in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love when you say, Lord Jesus, to us that you didn't leave us alone. If I go away, I will not leave you alone or as orphans. I will come to you. And as I live, you will live also. Those are powerful, life-changing words. Father, I thank you for the marriages here. Whether they're absolutely strong, whether they're struggling, there is an opportunity that we can be strengthened thereby. That Christ not only be lived out on the streets where our closest mate or closest people maybe can't see, but our life can be lived in the home where they can see. We're all the seed. I thank you for your life-changing truth. I thank you for the wonderfulness of your indescribable gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name I ask it, Lord. Amen. Let's give